0: Welcome! Earth's along with me! Oh, no! Nice.
1: Oh my god, I shot my eye out! These go to
0: 11.
1: Reading Starfighter.
2: Hasta vista, baby. you going
0: on 14. Yeah, hello everybody, and welcome to 40 going on 14. I am
1: Mike. I am Patrick.
0: I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and this
1: week we're going
2: to be talking about War of the Worlds, which, uh, almost 85 years ago was a radio broadcast that shows just how much times have changed. Cause, uh, the radio broadcast apparently made some people freak out cause they thought aliens were invading. If that happened today. Everyone would just be like, yeah, that fucking tracks. Pretty much. An it's
1: alien invasion would, would complete my bingo card.
0: <laughs> Going for the full sweep, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, this week we are going with War of the Worlds, the original 1953 up against the Tom Cruise 2005. There's been lots of remakes of it, but uh, those are most well known, including some TV shows.
3: Yeah, it's, it's a very popular story that's been retold told many times.
2: Yeah, it's uh apparently the since it's based on the H.G. Wells novel, it, it's got the distinction of being the most commented on and adapted science fiction story of all time.
0: That's kind of crazy. I mean, it tracks, but it's kind of crazy too, you know. The only, the only other thing. I well, would think would alien be...
1: invasion from Mars has always been kind of like the number one pinnacle of sci-fi since mm-hmm. it's just kind of its birth, really. Alien yeah, and, and th- yeah, this is kind of the around.
2: prototype for all those others.
0: Yeah. So there you go. If you'd like to get in touch with us and give us a show idea you'd like to hear, you can give us a call at 708 now wrap That's 708 9727 You can also click and join uh, our Discord by clicking the Join Us link in the show notes. And this week... We have a uh, growing New Zealand contingent. Yeah, we have some new members, don't we? Just this morning we had um Stevo Stevo, our
2: newest newest from New Zealand.
0: Yeah. Well, welcome to to the show, Stevo. Stevo. Unfortunately, we have no feedback. Got no voicemails, got no emails.
2: Which means once more into the archive for a question of the week.
0: Yep. Ooh, questions. Yeah, so this week, the question of the week is, what do you find overrated, but other people like? Patrick is going to be excluded from this one, because his answer is everything.
1: I was just going to say life. (laughs) (laughs) What do I find overrated? Most everything, really. But other
0: people like. Yeah, Hmm. That's, that's the contingent there. See, I got a lot of answers to this. I know. I mean, I you it, you almost kind of have to narrow it down into genres like TV shows. For me, it's The Office.
1: I think it's only because you won't give it the full chance.
0: If I have to watch an entire season to get the momentum going on a TV show, it's a bad TV show. I disagree.
1: Also, it's also a standard TV show. That's kind of I mean it's it's the it's the odd TV show that starts off with a bang and goes, you know, full full court from the beginning.
2: Usually yeah. it's
3: movies that go that route. But
1: TV yeah. shows are the
3: opposite.
2: A lot of shows yeah have a kind of tepid first season that really hits its stride at the beginning of season 2.
1: I mean even Seinfeld has a weak first season.
0: That see that's another one that I think is overrated
1: you are way wrong on that
0: well, you keep thinking well, that it way. is
2: a good answer to the question though yeah, something that's true. he 100%, thinks is yeah. overrated yeah. that other people like
3: correct yeah it, it, definitely Um, I had an answer now I forgot it Shit.
1: <laughs> I say Doctor Who <laughs> uh,
3: I mean that's alright if you feel that way no you know, I don't know. really
1: feel that way I don't really have much of an opinion on it <laughs> I just wanted to say that to mess with you. It's one of the things understand.
0: that Patrick doesn't have an opinion about,
1: right? Yeah, like people think I hate on things. I, I, I nothing things more than anything.
2: What, Josh? See, I want to go hard left, even though this isn't a, as universal an answer. But like people who are from or who have been to Chicago, uh, what I'm going to say is uh, overrated that other people like, even though I kind of like it, but I think it's incredibly overrated as Portillos. A
3: hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I enjoy it, but there are some people that are kind of fanatical
0: about it, and I don't think it's to that level.
1: Chick-fil-A no, I... down here is what would be my answer if I'm going to go with food.
0: Well, every place has their overrated food place.
1: Right. Well, and
2: Chick-fil-A is kind of everywhere.
0: Yeah, we got them all over up here now.
3: Dude,
2: Nowadays. I mean,
1: people, people will wait like an hour and line down here, and I'm like, no, thank you. Woof. not mm. that good.
3: Hmm. I mean, that's how it is when we get a new restaurant in town, but that's short-term, you know?
0: But that's also your town.
3: I mean, I I live in a city of 150,000 people, so yeah. It's not huge, but it's not a cow town either. Right. Uh, We have more shootings per capita than many other towns.
1: And a lot of corn.
0: I mean, there's some corn. That's something else I think... Corn it doesn't shoot though. Screw corn, the
3: <laughs> band or the food? Both. Both,
1: no screw corn with corn. Ew, don't Google that.
3: <laughs> you get cream corn if you do that.
2: Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> also a good answer to the question cream corn is overrated. Oh, <laughs> I,
3: I thought somebody cream f- corn. was gonna say big bang theory for sure, but. I was waiting for
1: it. Too obvious.
3: I I haven't seen enough to really say, so. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I kind of like it, but I don't, like, love it to the point where some people get fanatical about it, it. And maybe it's just I'm not, it's not my fandom, but, like, Harry Potter, for example. I think it's all right. It's fun. I enjoy it. But I don't think it's, like... The be-all end-all? I don't know if that really qualifies because I do enjoy it.
1: Fireworks.
3: Oh, I fucking would, hate fireworks. That would fireworks. be my
1: answer. Yeah.
3: It's a good answer. A lot Oof. of people
2: like them. Uh, I think a lot of dog owners who have gotten past their teenage and early 20s have the same opinion you and I and Joel do about them.
0: Oh, I hate them. I hate them I, so much. I love them, but I just love blowing shit up. I mean, it right? could be, a, I would it be an oil barrel. down
1: than blow up a firework.
0: Yeah right you know what i've always wanted to do in lieu of fireworks is that um just the thing where they they put like the propane gas underneath the barrels and lit the barrels up and they shot like 40 feet in the air
1: oh that sounds fun
0: yeah it was like oil barrels too it wasn't like what yeah you've never seen that video
1: that's much more fun than fireworks
3: yeah what in the redneck hell are you talking about
1: exactly
0: Well, I don't know. I think we've kind of milked this question. That sounds dangerous. But fun. Is it about that time? Sure. Nah. No, I think oh. so.
1: This week in music,
0: movies, and TV. In sports. In sports. Did you want to try again, sir? In sports. There you go. Sports. Yeah, there you go. That's better. better.
2: so august 13th 1953
0: the release of the world of the war world of the wars (laughs) you know you know what it is is you put the acronym there and it says t-w-o-t-w and my brain started saying world of warcraft
1: (laughs) the release of the War, the war of the world of warcraft world war house house on Hill House House
3: so. <laughs> yeah. Alright, well, music. The number one song in the land was Vaya con Dios, May God Be With You by Les Paul and Mary Ford. I probably know that song. You know that song. Is that the one where he's like, Vaya con Dios, my darling? Or is that a different song?
1: You, are you seriously asking if the song Vaya con Dios is the one where they sing Vaya con Dios? <laughs> is, is that what's happening here? <laughs>
3: Uh, no, it's not actually, but Mike asked if he, if he knew the song and I'm like, he knows that song. Does anybody know how the song help goes? I need somebody, somebody to help anybody
1: figure, figure out how that song goes. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Help. All right. Moving on. Kevin Rowland, born August 17th, is a British singer-songwriter of Irish descent, primarily known for being the frontman for Dexies' Midnight Runners. Currently called Dexies, they had several hits in the early 1980s. The most notable song, Come On Eileen, which reached number one on the UK singles chart. Did it not chart that high here
1: in the States? I'm sure it did, but it didn't reach one. So. That really? makes sense.
2: I mean, there was a lot of competition at that time. at that time.
3: Come on, think. Well, I mean, I I feel like it's more popular probably than it is. I don't know why. Was that in a movie or something? I think it became
1: popular later more than so than it was when it was released.
0: Hmm. It hit. Was it in a movie or something? What is it? It hit a one in Australia, Belgium, Ireland, strangely, New Zealand, South Africa, Switzerland. UK singles, U- U.S. Oh. Billboard Hot 100, yeah, Hit yeah, one. Did it
1: reach one. Wow, yeah,
0: so interesting. Okay,
3: I just, I yeah, feel like it became much more popular within the past, like, I don't know, 20, 30 years. Uh,
1: was it on the Wedding Singer?
0: No. Yeah, I'm looking it up I right think, now. I think the Wedding Singer was set before this would have come out.
3: Huh? Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, interesting. It, it just it seemed to have popped up recently. Anyway, there you go. Uh, James J. T. Warren Taylor, born August 16th, is a singer who achieved worldwide fame as the lead singer of Cool and the Gang. His tenure as lead singer was the most successful era in the band's history, with the albums *Ladies Night*, *Celebrate*, and *Emergency*, which included hit singles *Ladies Night*, *Joanna*, *Celebration*, *Get Down on It*, and *Cherish*. Taylor left the group in 1989 to begin a solo career, but has reunited with the band a few times in concerts and recorded one last album with them in 1996. And when I first started this segment, I thought we were going to talk about James Taylor, and I was going to say, there's somebody that I think is overrated, <laughs> but yeah, people it's... seem to like.
2: Well, and I couldn't have told you the name of the lead singer of Cool in the Gang, but like all of those singles are pretty good.
0: Yeah, yeah. you definitely know it's
1: Cool in the Gang. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cherish is crap, but other than that, <laughs> they're good songs.
0: Cherish is the word I No, that's not did. It's not cherish that one. Cherish the thought.
2: So- I think. No. No?
1: No.
0: There's a lot of songs with Cherish. Yeah. Cherish
3: the, 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 doo doo slap slap-a-dee-dee. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> definitely not oh. <from> that one. <laughs> cherish the doo-doo, slap-a-dee-dee. <laughs>
2: Man, don't. I'm up next, and I don't know cherish from cooling the gang. I, I thought it. I'm, I'm trying to
3: remember Joanna. I?
1: I know it, but I, I'm not going to sing it because it's just such a bad song, and it's like it's just I don't. Okay, get stuck yeah, in my I head. don't
2: know the song. Oh, all right. Well, yeah, we'll I, move on then. It's it's Maybe. like
1: a, they're on a the beach during the whole video. It's just a horrible song. It's just really bad. Very, shm- very schmaltzy. All
2: right, moving on to movies. The top movie in the land was. From Here to Eternity. It's
0: this episode. Dude. What? We got that great uh, seaweed washing up over them scene from that one.
2: I don't think I've ever seen that. I don't think I have either.
0: Really? That scene is classic. Oh, yeah. And great movie. Parodied
3: many, many, many times over.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Other movies released this week were Hans Christian Andersen, And Roman Holiday. Oh, yeah. Roman Holiday was excellent.
0: Roman Holiday is good stuff. So there you go. That's movies. Uh, There were no Nielsen ratings, so we don't know. Cosby Show and Gunsmoke. But I'm picking up 1953 in television series that were on the air. So it could have been something along these lines. So The Adventures of Superman, American Bandstand. Ah, yeah, Death Valley Days, Dragnet, ah, Gillette Cavalcade of Sports, <laughs> Muffin the Mule, uh, which ran from 1946
3: to 1955. That's kind of Muffin, weird. get in
1: here, Yeehaw. No, that's that's my euphemism for jerking off, Muffin the Mule. <laughs> what are you doing over there? I'm just Muffin the Mule.
0: Cherish, step a step a duty. Holy cats! Those some tv shows that debuted this year romper room <gasps> whoa yeah wow i didn't realize it was that old huh yeah, so there you go also on august 15th the tonight show began its long and historical journey as a local new york variety show originally titled the knickerbocker beer show on august 18th judge for yourself with fred allen also debuted I don't know
3: that, that one. It's like a show where they would have people come in for their court trials and instead of going to an actual judge, they'd have, you know, like a celebrity panel and they'd say judge for yourself and then they would tell them whether or not they were guilty and they'd sentence them. You guys don't remember that show?
0: I'm not entirely sure you're telling the truth.
3: <laughs> okay,
0: so Catherine Lee Gifford, born August 16th, is a French-born American television presenter, singer, songwriter, actress, and author. She's best known for her 15-year run on the talk show she co-hosted with Regis Philbin, the acronym of the week, which is, oh, my God, L-W-R-A-K-L.
2: Pretty sure that stands for, listen, we really appreciate Kenny Loggins. <laughs> <laughs> Ew.
1: Uh, with all those hints, you still couldn't get it. No, that uh, is live with Regis and Kathy Lee.
0: I want to see Regis Philbin sing "Danger Zone."
3: Nobody <laughs> appreciates Messina.
1: Did
0: I say yes. Messina?
3: No, but I'm saying nobody <laughs> appreciates Messina, and they're not
0: wrong. He's going to do an album with Oates. So she's also known for her 11-year run with Hoda Kotib on the fourth hour of NBC's Today Show. She has received 11 Daytime Emmy nominations and won one. Kathy Lee has reduced studio music albums and several books. One of the songs which will be sung by Joel.
3: Messina and Oates featuring Cherish. <laughs> Cherish, da 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 Zap-a-do-da.
0: Also, born August eighth, Don Moss is an actor and singer best known for his role as Ralph Melf on the television series Happy Days.
1: Except it's most, Don not Most, not Don Moss.
0: Most. 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 Oh, most. Eh. Oh, most I went folks. for it and lost.
1: <laughs> well, it sounded like you said Moss. I'm like, he's definitely not Moss.
0: <laughs> Don Moss. He's everywhere. You want to be
1: only on the north side of every tree.
0: (laughs) All right, Boy Scout.
1: That was me. All right, moving on to sports. Born August 8th, Louis Sweet Lou Dunbar is one of the most important figures in the history of the Harlem Globetrotters. He currently serves as as the director of player personnel, but he's also been the coach, both after a 27-year career, as the point guard for the Harlem Globetrotters. So, if you've ever seen the Harlem Globetrotters, chances are you saw Sweet Lou.
3: I did actually. I did yep. see them once. No Me joke. joke. Me cool. Joke. We're Eskimo brothers.
1: We're Globetrotter brothers. Well, actually, well, you know what? <laughs> never mind. We're not going down this road. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm right, not good. sure what this Keep means going.
3: anymore. <laughs> Keep driving. Come on, let's go.
1: Terry okay. Eugene Bolea, born August 11th, is better known by his ring name Hulk Hogan. A retired professional wrestler and television personality, he is widely regarded as the most recognized wrestling star worldwide. Hogan gained worldwide recognition after signing with the WWF, now WWE, in 1983. There his persona as a heroic all-American helped usher in the 1980s professional wrestling boom where he headlined 8 of the first 9 WrestleMania events. During his initial run, he won the WWF Championship 5 times with his first reign being the second longest in the championship's history. He is the first wrestler to win consecutive Royal Rumble matches. Hogan also performed for the WCW, AWA, NJPW, and TNA, now known as Impact Wrestling. During and after wrestling, Hogan had an extensive acting career, beginning with his 1982 cameo role in Rocky III, where he starred as Thunderlips. He has starred in several films, including No Holds Barred, Suburban Commando, and Mr. Nanny, and three television shows. Hogan Knows Best, Thunder in Paradise, and China, Illinois.
3: Okay, so before you move on, Patrick, would you... Oh, that was the end of it, never mind. Uh, would you say that he is widely regarded as the most recognized star worldwide? I mean, do you think that's accurate?
1: I mean, yeah, he's he's recognized as you know one of the biggest stars. He's not ne- recognized by anybody that knows wrestling as one of the best wrestlers by any stretch.
2: Oh no, I mean his signature move is the leg drop and the big elbow.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, he te- technically, elbow? he's not he's not a, a great wrestler, but I mean, he was amazing, you know, in in the in the merchandising and the promotions and on the mic, which are you know in a lot of ways, just as important as being good in the ring. He's perfect proof that you can not be one of the best in the ring and still be considered one of the top 10. Hogan it has doesn't... a lot of, uh, in his Charisma. career, and his, his in his everything, he has a lot of problems. <laughs> but he, there's no denying his impact on the sport.
3: Because I was just trying to think of anybody else that kind of even came close to that. Because I know, like, as a kid growing up in the 80s, with wrestling at one of its high points before recent, uh, uh, The he, Rock
1: was 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 incredibly popular, and Steve Austin was possibly more popular at the height of the wrestling's you know popularity in the '90s.
2: What about Sting? No, no, no he's no, not in no, the conversation. No. Like John Cena, maybe he's in the conversation.
1: John Cena mainly mainly for his stamina and just his ability to stay on top for as long as he has. Undertaker. Undertaker is widely regarded as probably the number one wrestler of all time. Yeah.
3: Like wrestler or just like noticeable? Just in general,
1: like-, like everything that he's done from beginning to the end of his career, he's been basically no doubt in the top three, you know, almost every year of his career. And just mm-hmm. his, his record, his accolades, his ability, the respect he's earned, and just his everything he did for the sport, Undertaker is probably the number one guy.
0: Yeah. That's the thing is like, you can't find one wrestler that says really anything bad about him. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I just wouldn't say that respected, like, you know, by fans and wrestlers alike.
0: Cause
3: when, just when they said that comment, it got my mind thinking, I'm like, I know Hulk Hogan, but I feel like there's some other people that have either surpassed him or.
1: And and the thing about Hogan is like Hogan is way more revered among the fans than he is among the wrestlers themselves. Like there's a huge discrepancy between the amount of respect Hogan gets from the wrestlers versus he is not respected hardly at all by other wrestlers. Uh, well, Jim, Jim Cornette, one of the most famous uh, wrestling commentators of all time, said, um, and this is this has been widely proven to kind of be you know kind of kind of be a factual statement, even though it's hyperbole. He says, "That you have never heard every lie that Hulk Hogan has ever spoken if you haven't heard every word that Hulk Hogan has ever said."
3: Thanks.
1: Yeah. What He's well known well, as a bullshitter.
2: And he he kind of was in the news for a negative thing when he uh had his uh sex tape uh leaked without his consent and uh talked about his uh encounters with his best friend's wife. Yeah, on, on tape.
1: And he said some racist shit, he's been caught saying racist shit. So he's not he's not he's not very well respected, but he, you know, his his body of work in wrestling cannot be denied, but I gotcha.
3: Okay, that's fair. <clears throat> I just It felt like something that there was more to it, and I wanted to just kind of brush over before we moved on.
1: Okay, cool. Like, if he had stayed in the WWF his entire career, Vince McMahon probably would have been able to brush a lot of that shit under the rug for him and kept his name pristine, but, you know, he he kind of pissed off Vince, so Vince stopped protecting him.
3: Good job, buddy.
0: Jerk. Sure. Well, all right.
1: He's waiting for you, Pat. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Play us off, Keyboard
3: Joel. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> the professionalism I respect. <laughs> Professional. All right. 1953 War of the Worlds. H.G. Wells' classic novel is brought to life this tale of alien invasion, the residents of a small town in California are excited when a flaming meteor lands in the hills. Their joy is tempered somewhat when they discover that it has passengers who are not very friendly.
1: Well, if your first action when you make contact with it is to hit it with a shovel, you're not very friendly either.
0: Okay, that dude was kind of a dipshit all around. We got a sugar shack
3: in the the back of the truck. Let's wave it. (laughs) Let them know we're friendly. Buck. My name's Buck.
1: And I'm here here
3: to to
0: shuck some corn. (laughs) (laughs) This is the fifties, brother.
1: I'm here to hit things with a shovel.
0: Yes, right.
1: I got myself
0: a shovel in the back and there is oh anyway, so this is produced by Cecil B. DeMille, uncredited, Frank Freeman Junior, and someone who's considered the say the the father of fifties sci fi, George Powell.
1: And everybody's I'm not your friend, buddy,
0: guy. What we both made Make, pal jokes, making stupid jokes Uh-oh.
1: about his his last name. Yeah, because uh, okay. we're
0: 14, you know. Well, yeah. at, least, at least you keep keep with theme, that's the okay. title. <laughs> so you got what you get. So, some of the stuff that he has done in the way of directing, uh, you've got the time machine, you've got the seven faces of Dr. Lau, you've got, uh, Hot Lips Jasper. I don't know what that is, but that sounds fun. Um,
1: Does it, though? (laughs) It's it's the Hand slash Ghost crossover nobody was asking for.
0: But he also did Atlantis, the Lost Continent, and The Wonderful World of the Brothers Grimm from 1962. And that was the one that had Lawrence Harvey and Claire Bloom in it. Whoa, And a very young Barbara Eden.
3: Got me so upset I can't talk over here.
0: That's, that's Lawrence Harvey. Oh, I thought that was Barbara <laughs> Eden.
3: I oh, no. oh, that's Lawrence Tierney. Oh, that is Lawrence Tierney. Yeah, thanks, Josh. You're right. <laughs> Cherish zappa do do doo down <zap-a-doo-dum-da-p-a-doo-dum>.
0: This <laughs> is directed by Byron Haskin, who also did Robinson Crusoe on Mars, Treasure Island, and the ever-loving Man Eaters of Kuman.
3: Robinson Crusoe on Mars that that ties in so nicely and makes a lot of sense if you've seen it uh, compared to this one it makes a lot they good companion pieces
0: yeah it's fun it's another one of those writing course based on the novel by HG Wells and bar Barry Barry Lyndon Barry Lyndon yeah yeah Uh, who also did the screenplay for the greatest show on earth and something called the amazing Dr. Clitterhouse which Hmm. Uh, Was done in 1938, that movie <laughs> 1947, and 1962. And
1: 1969.
0: Because nobody could find it.
1: Okay. Oh, uh, keep did looking, looking there. for. It's like uh, a little man in a rowboat.
3: Uh. Okay, so the 1938 one a brilliant Park Avenue doctor becomes a criminal in order to do research into the criminal mind. Starring Edward G. Robinson, Humphrey Bogart, and Claire Trevor. Oh, Edward G. Robinson, that's...
1: And John Holmes.
3: <laughs> I don't well, just... John Holmes in here. Yeah, that's... Irving something. Bacon. That's
0: something that nobody ever said. <laughs> but, yeah, that, it's not what we thought it was. That's a shame. Mm. So, starring Gene Barry as Dr. Clayton Forrester, known for War of the Worlds, and played the Bat Masterson on the TV show in nineteen
3: fifty eight. Oh, okay.
0: So that's fun. Sylvia Van Buren play was played by Ann Robinson, who was also War of the Worlds, and also in Rocky Jones Space Ranger.
2: <laughs> and she was uh, wearing a wig for the uh, performance here, which apparently she hated, and it made no one able to recognize who she was.
0: Oh, that's really scary. yeah. Huh! I did not notice. All right. Also, we have Les Tremaine, who we know from Shazam, the TV show from the Shazam show that we did. That is a thing we did. Yep. Ricky Tiki Tavi. He did the voice <laughs> of the father in the um the Ricky tikki Tavi cartoon, and he also did voices in the Kid and Play cartoon. Uh. There was a kid and play cartoon. What? <laughs> uh, I
2: vaguely remember that being a thing. I don't remember if I watched more than an episode out of curiosity.
0: Yeah, there's, which such episodes as wrapped around his little finger, there's no business like dough business, and project creeper sweeper. Yeah, kid and play had cartoon. I bet you they did the kick step at least once an episode. I'm sure they did. I'm, I'm sure it was in the titles. Do the kid and play kickstep. But he was also in uh, The Fortune Cookie, the Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau movie, mm-hmm. and uh, had a, a bit part in North by Northwest. So he did real stuff, too. So we also have Sandro, 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 Sandro Gigolo. Yeah, that's the way it's said. Topo So who plays Dr. <laughs> Bieler <Bech.
1: laughs> I had to unmute myself for this little exchange. Sandro, Gigolo, and Topo Gijo. What the hell's wrong with you people?
0: Uh, he he played Xenathon in the 300 Spartans, which is could be considered a then for 300.
2: Yeah, sort of.
0: Well, it's literally about the battle of, I'm going to say, Thermopylae? Thermopylae. Thermopylae. It's it's literally about that battle. So
2: yeah, but uh, the yeah the movie's an adaptation of a classic graphic novel, which is why I said yeah, kinda.
0: Yeah, King Lion- Leonidas is played by Richard Egan, who was in Gog. I don't know what that was, but anyway, moving on. Look it up. The... You will be disappointed. Okay, good to know. From coming from you, that's that means something. Uh, he saying. was also in uh, When Worlds Collide. Then we've got Lewis Martin, who was the um, Pastor Matthew Collins. That's pretty much all he did. This, oh, wait, no, I'm thinking of somebody else. Lewis Martin, ace in the hole with uh, Kirk Douglas. He played somebody called McCardle, And he was in uh, The Court Jester. He played Sir Finsdale. Oh. Yeah. One of my favorite Danny Kaye movies. Then we have... Housley Stevenson, Jr. Junior. Junior. Who is General Junior. Man's aide. He's known for... General Man's aide? What? General Man? Yeah. Like a little guy following around, remember?
1: I don't even like remember him needing to be credited, though. Like It wasn't like I saw him and was like, Who is that actor? Well, sorry. I he just... got
0: his name in there, you know? He's better than you do. We also have... Oh, he's dead
1: now, so he's definitely doing better than I am. Jeez.
0: <laughs> uh, he's also been in something called Mean Dog Blues. Oh, no. He was the editor for that. Actor, How to Marry a Millionaire, the TV series, Abin Costello, Meet the Keystone Cops. So, got a lot of stuff going on in his career. Paul Freeze, who was the radio reporter in this one. Uh... In did voices in something called the Beatnecks in 1960, and did the voice of Mabruk from the 1982 The Last Unicorn.
3: I've heard of that one, but I don't know that I've actually seen it. You haven't seen The Last Unicorn? I don't think so. Really? Huh. Yeah. Huh.
1: I don't know if I have. I oh, mean really? that
2: tracks, but I would have figured that Joel would have.
0: Yeah. Why? Some other things that he has done. He did the voice of Carr from Knight Rider.
1: <laughs> was that, that the enemy it? of Kit or something? Yeah, yep. that was mm-hmm. that was the oh, evil. Okay.
0: Yeah, K A R R.
1: I figured. Yeah, I figured it was something mm. like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, William Perry did. Um, William Phillips played Wash Perry.
1: <laughs> Big difference.
0: <laughs> Big difference. Yeah. Uh, who was also in Cat Women on the Moon and did the voice of Prince Charming from Cinderella. Yeah, there you go. Got ourselves some Vern and Rich in here. Uh, who yeah. Played Colonel Ralph Hefner. He was in uh, One Step Beyond, Outside the Law, and also in 1957. Suspicion.
1: Hmm. Suspicion.
0: Suspicious. Don't be suspicious.
1: <laughs> Don't be suspicious.
0: <laughs> Henry Brandon, who did Cop at Crash Site. I just wanted to tell us because that's a great, you know, thing. Great he credit. was also in. He played Scar in the. You Search know who I episode.
1: am? I played cop at Crash Site.
0: <laughs> no, he also was a Pat. You're the John Wayne guy here. So remember the uh, the Searchers? Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, he played Scar. The best,
1: the best part of the Searchers is John Wayne plays a character who's supposed to be this like you know, like like. He's a searcher. He finds, you know, he 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 finds people. You know, that's his whole thing. It's like, oh. And, like, he comes out of the desert. He's supposedly been searching for someone for, like, six weeks. And he comes out of the desert, and his shirt is completely pressed. He's got, cu- you know, perfect cuffs. His boots are, like, like polished up. And, yeah, I've been spending six weeks in the desert. He's <laughs> just all his hair is polished and just combed. And, I'm like, okay, yeah, you look real rugged.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he brought his, ner- his maid out with him. You don't know that. Right. We skipped somebody. <laughs> So I got so excited about Sandro Gigolo and Topo Gigio, I forgot Robert Cornwaith, who played Doctor Pryor, who was in the thing from Another Planet, whatever happened to Baby Jane, and the TV show Picket Fences. Wow! Oh, the
1: recent one, this fairly yeah. recent
0: one, fairly um, recent one, yeah.
1: Yeah, who's yeah for, uh, Tom, who's, Tom, what was the guy from Picket Fences? Oh, Tom Skerritt. It. Yeah, Tom Skerritt. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Jack Crucian played Salvatore, the guy who wants to start the tamale stand outside the. Uh... Oh,
1: okay. That's it yeah. that
0: And uh, he was in the uh, the apartment with Jack Lemon and Shirley MacLaine. He played Dr. Dreyfus. Yeah. This is uh... my
3: boomstick.
0: <laughs> and then finally, Cedric Hardwick, who was a commentary on this one, he also played Sethi from the Cecil B. DeMille Ten Commandments and Sir Francis Cromarty, 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 from a- Around the World in 80 Days and Mr. Kentley from Alfred Hitchcock's Rope. And apparently he got knighted at some point.
3: Because he's listed as Sir Cedric Hardwick in the credits.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, t- I, I, Just as a quick aside, I'm a big fan of Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments. That's a great movie. Oh, yeah. I Definitely. love people that played roles in that movie.
0: Lots of people in there. Yeah. Anyway, I, I miss those kind of said. like grand, grandiose. We're going to get, we need 2,000 people for the extra. I in must have
1: killed more people than Cecil B. DeMille.
0: <laughs> All right. So some trivia on this one. The estate of H.G. Wells was so pleased with the final production that it offered George Powell his choice of any other Wells properties. George Powell chose The Time Machine and did that in 1960. Good choice. Yeah. Worked Uh, out for him. I know, right? Time Machine's another great, like 50s sci-fi. I love that one. Uh, The Martian War Machine. Yeah. One of
1: my favorite sci-fi books, Time Machine. Cool
0: the Martian war machines had about 20 different wires running to each one. Some were for suspension and maneuvering while others carried power to the various lights and mechanisms within this was produced before there were lightweight circuits and sophisticated radio controls. I don't know. Did you guys look at any of the bat behind the scenes images? Yes. No. Those things were made out of copper.
2: Huh. Yeah. Like, and in a lot of, uh, a lot of the actors, uh, when the stuff, because some of that stuff was done post production, wasn't all practical effects. Like it wasn't CGI, obviously, but like the actors didn't always know what they were looking at.
0: Yeah, there were a couple times uh, in the interviews where people had said, especially um, Anne Robinson, when she saw the um, what do they call it, the, the Cobra Head. Of the ship and she first time we came in She was like what the hell is that and then somebody flipped the switch And lit everything up on her And she said it scared the living crap out of her <laughs> When everything went started going off
2: Yeah like but- Several of the actors that aren't in the same uh, Frames as some of those things uh, Just assumed That the uh, tripods Were l- l- like from the book Instead of being these
0: floaty things mm-hmm. There was commentary that They had talk to the military a little bit about the tripods from the book and the military was like that would be no the way they were described in the original book they would be decimated by the American military in the 1950s at that point at least that's that's what the story how the story goes huh so one Not thing that those this close shields they had Don't yeah, like the domes? So, that sounds
1: like some propaganda BS yeah,
0: yeah well, uh, the domes that, well, that wasn't a thing anyway. But this this movie, I think, has the most recognizable sound effects of any sci-fi movie for Outs- sure. Outside of like the, the the powering up of a lightsaber, the late the lay, fire beams, the heat beams off the off the tripods, in this and that whoa, 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 that noise that they make in the background. Just everyone knows those noises
2: for sure. They are the uh, like. Prototype of the your pew pew sounds from
0: everything sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Now getting into the trivia on that, Pew-pew. the sound effects of the Martian war-, war machines heat rays were created from three electric guitars played backwards. The sound of a Martian screaming after Forrester hit it with the with the well, Forester launched that axe at him. <laughs> that was a mixture of a microphone scraping along dry ice. And a woman's scream played backwards. Oh, weird! Yeah the the former set of fa- sound effects became widely used as stock sound effects after this film was released, and they're still in use sometimes. Uh, the vibrating noise that the, the machines make is the feedback from an early version of something called an Echoplex tape mach- echo machine, which has a recording head. Basically, do you ever when you were playing uh, cassette tape, and do you ever like grab the tape and? pull on it, tighten it, lower it, and that sort of thing would make the tape make weird noises.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That's what it was. So they actually had, like, a little lever that you can make the echo effect by playing a sound effect tape across there, and that would do that for you.
1: And a little known fact, um, the very first time you see an alien, it was someone dressed up as Gossamer from the Bugs Bunny cartoon doing the Thriller dance. He's like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I gotta admit, like this movie did a lot of good things as far as special effects for the time but when that first alien appeared I, cr- I fucking lost my shit I was like, what the fuck was Aww,
2: that? I loved it Yeah, I thought it was really uh, for its time
1: really clever That, t- that totally yeah. took me out because it really, it really did to me look like Gossamer doing the Thriller it, dance It did look I like loved.
0: Gossamer the way, he's, the way it's built but, uh, Last thing and you guys thought I was nuts. I know you guys did. <coughs> a figure of Walter Lance's most popular character, Woody Woodpecker, can be glimpsed in the branches of the tree of the initial Martian cylinder meteor flying over. Lance and George Powell were close friends, and George Powell always worked in an appearance of Woody Woodpecker into each of his films. That's a strange flex for them. Isn't that weird?
1: Well, We could definitely but, couldn't make it out in the screenshot you took. But. Well, I
0: mean, we're also, you know, I'm taking it on a cell phone camera on a pause 1953 non HD, you know, <laughs> version. But if you if, I, I wish I was able to, like, trace out, but apparently it's not like there's a cardboard cutout. It looks more like like a Woody Woodpecker dog chew toy type of thing. OK, so. I've got to make a note. I have to post that picture in the show notes. Otherwise people are going to think I'm nuts.
3: Well, and I looked it up. I, I mean, I and you probably already did this too, but I looked it up in the, just to see if you could find it somewhere, a better picture of it. And there's like screen grabs, but none of them, even on the HD, you know, high quality crap or, are,
0: are clear enough to really see Weird. I know. It's it's kind of cool, but at the same time, like I said, that's a weird flex.
2: Other thing I, I heard about this was uh, none of the original uh, models were preserved for posterity. They were made of copper, so they uh, got donated to the Boy Scouts.
0: Yep, they got donated a to a Boy shame. Scouts copper drive. <laughs> I know, that's <laughs> awful. But they didn't, I mean, they didn't think, you know, uh, God forbid... Fifty years from now, when we're all dead, everyone's gonna be like, "Oh my god, this 40 going on 14, It was so freaking groundbreaking for the time." We don't know what the hell we're doing. They were just making a movie, you know. It's they weren't looking to make any sort of like groundbreaking. You, you never know
1: when you're making history,
0: right? And they definitely made history. It's or maybe <laughs> 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 I, I think you should know. Yeah, <laughs> it's cute. I I don't know where to take this.
2: Not to Joel's house
0: <laughs> <laughs> Cherish the da, de, ba, de, Oh my god I'm pregnant That's how it happens It's just that so, easy So we have the 1950s version of I gotta stream this it'll be huge on YouTube Is we'll be the first ones To do this we'll totally be in the papers the, guy, the, the three guys at the very beginning The top yeah. truck guy and all that Oh, I got a sugar shack or a sugar bag. You know, we'll wave that. Because that's a universal symbol. I know. What if they're afraid of sugar?
3: What if they don't like the color white? Or sugar. Yeah, sugar bags. Yeah.
0: They're diabetic.
1: What if they're they're bulls and they don't like things waved at them?
0: Yeah. All that stuff going on. But then you get zapped.
1: What if they're going to shoot you and turn you into ash?
0: Right. And that lays out there exactly in the shape of your body.
3: That's how it works, right?
1: Right. It was nice of him to leave a clue just like that.
3: <laughs> Ooh, a raging clue. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: gosh. But when, they, when they're talking about the, oh, my God, they're attacking California, Bordeaux, Spain, Italy. Oh, my God, they're attacking the vineyards. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they really just want wine.
0: Is this, who, is this a first viewing for any of us? Yes. Yeah. No. Really? Oh yes. my god, that's insane! I I can't even. I have seen this more times than I can count. Really? Oh yeah. Used. I know it was on a regular rotation on um, uh, Family Classics on Channel Nine in Chicagoland.
3: I've only seen it like once or twice, so I'm not in the mic category. But yeah, I, I love I love old sci-fi. So right in my wheelhouse. Yeah, I'm trying to remember.
2: Yeah, I just have never gotten around to it.
3: Huh. I feel like I mean, when you have a great story, um, to begin with, it's as long as you have all the right moving parts, you know, you can make something that's that's good. And I think this one is above average for especially for the time and the amount of kind of sci fi stuff that was coming out, but Uh, It had such a good base and they put a lot of felt like they put a lot of time and energy into it that all things considered, I think it's it's a really solid, Mm -hmm. solid take on the story.
2: Well, and it Mm -hmm. was a studio production. It wasn't like this little indie thing. This was like a big Paramount release.
0: Oh, yeah. Cecil B. DeMille, you know? Yeah. So do do any of you remember Family Classics with Fraser Thomas? Mm, Not something I think I ever watched. Oh, man. It was on, for 11 years, it was on Chicago Channel 9. Oh, I'm not familiar. Well, I mean, Josh maybe, you know. But, but, I mean, it was on, let's see, the earliest one they have, they did The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. The, let's see. The newest one, Miracle on 34th Street, The Rocketeer. Mm. Just talking about that. Yeah, the those magnificent men in their flying machines. I think they did big, also. But it was it was like every Saturday it would it would show up like after after cartoons, after um, Soul Train and all that, and then that would be like afternoon, and they would have always have Fraser Thomas like opening a book that had the name of the movie on the front. So anyway
2: that sounds kind of familiar like I, I think i was aware it was a thing but never watched it
0: yeah fraser thomas the uh, the guy who host was the host for the bozo show for so long anyway so first viewing what's okay what is your guy's take on it then i mean what
2: uh, honestly aside from it having kind of dated pacing Uh, there were some slow moments that were a little less exciting than I might prefer. Like I thought the acting was good. The, uh, interpretation of the story was good. Like overall, like I really enjoyed this more than I thought I was going to, like, I was not looking forward to this topic. Um, but no, this, this worked. That makes me happy.
1: How about you? Pretty similar to Josh's as far as like, I wasn't really looking forward to it. I'm, um, I don't really look forward to most of these, you know, movies that are made, you know, this late unless they're comedies. That's about the only, you know, sci fi just never really does it for me when it's this old. And this was interesting enough. I mean, it was a little bit slow, that, you know, that we didn't need, you know, three minutes of military footage every time we talked about the military. You know, there's a lot of B roll stuff. Um, and, the special effects for the time were actually not that bad. You know, there were, there were a few moments I noticed some random whatevers, but other than that, it didn't like take me out of the movie too much.
0: Do you know how they did the heat ray? I do that, not. They would line up. I'm sorry. It's, it's an old black and white movie. This is my thing again. <laughs> they used to line up propane torches behind this, behind this, this, the shots. So they would, they would film a propane torch and then blow a fan behind that to make it go even further, film that, and then overlay that onto it.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah. And yeah, the domes. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. The domes are the same thing. They, they just filmed a bunch of glass domes, regular size, like you'd put over a statue or that sort of thing. They filmed those for the scenes that they needed them on. And then just overlaid them on top of the film.
2: And apparently they had a prototype to have legs made of sparks for the, uh, Floating machines, but it was deemed a fire hazard and super dangerous. So they cut them,
1: Hmm.
0: which is funny because there was a lot of fire in this movie.
3: (laughs) Yeah, there was. I mean, you can see electricity coming from the bottom of the ships at times. But uh, this I, I one of the things I like about this movie and the story in general is that almost the entire thing is like it's very It's like you don't know if the the humans are actually going to come back. Like the aliens are just like consistently just beating them down and beating them down. And just there's no hope. And it's not until the last like five minutes that things finally turn around. And it's kind of rare that either, you know, the bad guys win, which happens sometimes, or the good guys win. And you can tell early on that they're going to win. This one, they don't really let on too much that the good guys have a chance. So it's yeah and do the good guys win? I mean uh, like humanity
2: survives, but it was just like a freak accident.
3: Yes, and I think that's one of the things I like about it is that it felt it feels different at the end of the film because you're right, even though they won, they still lost with how many people were killed um, which is something we'll get into a little more with the the remake but yeah, what was the cost?
1: You see I'm I'm not a big fan of the ending I don't I mean I I get you know what they're what what HG Wells what the everything was going for it, the whole story wise but like it just seems it seems almost cheap
2: well and that's the thing is they like I want to talk a little bit about the HG Wells story because basically it was written with after seeing what the British Empire and their pursuit of colonialism did to the Tasmanians. Like they have this superior technology. They come in and they fuck these guys up. And HG Wells was like, well, what if people from another planet did this to us? And that was why when it came down to like the only thing that the overwhelmingly technological, uh, like advanced society, only thing that stopped them were diseases. Cause that was something that happened. Right. So, I thought that was an interesting take on it, especially considering like the first version of the story set in Victorian era London as opposed to uh, 50s California.
0: Well, and I. I, Oh, good. I was going to say there is a TV series that has that set. I think that was 2011 that came out, that it's all set in Victorian London.
3: No, that was 2019. That was just recently. Oh, really? Oh, okay. There we go. Because I was
0: anxious to see
3: it and I, I never got around to it. I was hoping to watch it before the show, but. I mean, the the funny thing is, is that even though it's kind of an abrupt ending, because uh, and I think that the series maybe would stretch it out and, and give you some more backstory to it. It's not out of the realm of the poss- realm of possibility that something like that could happen. The 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 you know, dying from uh, an illness that they have no immune system for. It's 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 a possibility.
2: Yeah, I mean it's more likely to happen to the conquered than the conquerors, but yeah, it's definitely a thing.
1: But it doesn't make for a satisfactory ending to a dramatic story. It just—it just—it's a—it's a very cheap uh, deus ex machina device. Well,
0: here's the thing: in the book, I—I look—I wrote down some of the the changes on there. So in the book the aliens actually give themselves transfusions of human blood, which then triggers off everything. So it's less of a, Oh, they breathe the air. And now they're, they're dying. It was a, you know, they got injected and got like earth AIDS or whatever from us, you know, stuff that we're already immune to that was already in our bloodstream. That's, that's what happened in the book. Um, they also had, they also saved humans to hunt down other survivors the the tripods also had now this isn't the the new show also they also instead of having the um what do they call them the the skull rays on the on the tips you know how they, the the ones on the tips of the uh, ships that would fire off instead of having that they had the black smoke and they would just like dispense black smoke all over an area and anybody who breathed it in would die. So that was a That's little true. more visceral in the books. But no, I mean, there's some of the, <laughs> some of the things that I th- I thought were kind of interesting, like when they're um, what what was it when the one scene where he's they're talking about the end of the world? Oh, it's the end, well, they're in the ditch. Oh, it's the end of the world, and this all this is going on. But you're looking pretty good. <laughs> you know, he has that kind of like, hey, end of the world, but you're looking good, girl. What you a know? bone. <laughs> I right. know, And
2: there is a little bit of like. Uh... Uh, hysterical uh, woman goes hysterical. Uh, he doesn't actually slap her at any point, but it looks like he's about to. A couple. I thought times. he yeah.
1: was going to at one point. I, I was waiting for it. I thought it was coming. You know. There
0: were a couple times she had a great reaction when the alien hand came over her shoulder. Yeah. Right. <laughs> was, that was. You know what the thing was? Though? I. I. I laugh every time I see that because it's almost close to like a um Costello movie. Yeah,
1: it's like it's like slapstick almost how she reacts to it.
0: Yeah. Like her eyes can... get so
1: wide; it's almost like a like a joke.
0: Yeah, the whole thing with that with that figure though is that that the model, the suit that they used for the alien, was literally built the night before because they created. <laughs> they, yeah, they created one by the name of the guy who did the um, effect for that was something gam- Gamera, Gamora. Some, Gamora, it's pronounced like that, Gamora, and him and his at the time. 12 or 14 year old daughter stayed up all night and remade the alien because the original one that they made, George Powell was like, that's way too friggin big. We need it smaller. And they're like, all right, we're filming tomorrow. So like the daughter, I watched an interview with her and she said, you can see in some places where the uh, plaster that they used to put it together is starting to come off <laughs> because it's not totally dry yet and then they put him in the uh, the dad was in the suit there's a couple scenes where you can see him climbing in like putting the big dome over his head they pulled him along on a dolly to make him move while the daughter was underneath with bellows moving the bellows to make all the veins and everything pulse on the on the model and then at the very end did you notice when the when the when he throws the axe at the alien and the alien runs away and it almost does a kind of like whoop 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 type <coughs> of run yes <laughs> It kind of like where the feet go before the body does. That's because the stagehand pulled the rope too fast, and the guy in the suit, Gamora, and who was the guy in the suit almost lost his balance and almost fell off the pallet that they were pulling. <laughs> but I I love the stories of the old effects where they're just like, we don't know how to do this. Well, what if we just what if we just did it? You know, it's like. They they have such a desire to make this effect work. And while I'm not trying to discredit like the CGI artists of today, what you're doing is more than I can do. I respect that 100 percent. But staying up all night, making a plaster of Paris alien for this movie, you know, just to use it in one shot. And they think they said it almost like fell apart right after they finished a scene also. So they're like, well, that scene, (laughs) you know, we're not getting a second chance.
3: There's some examples, though, and I feel like they held up pretty well. I mean, you look at like even like Frankenstein, Jack Hill's Frankenstein makeup holds up today just as well uh, as any other practical effects you might see in modern age. So um, I give them a lot of credit. I felt like for the time, especially they were above par for um, the, the quality of, of what they were putting out there for, above the, for the Jack time. par. <laughs>
0: I don't know what Jack Parr has to do with anything. Not either, right now either. But Not either. <laughs> so, all right, you think we're done with this, or did you have any f- first-time comments again? No, I think we we covered like some of the trivia
2: I dug up on it and uh, my thoughts.
1: When the when the one ship crashed into the house, that was a pretty impressive. Effect, I thought except they ruined their
0: breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> that is Bastards. one fried best fried breakfast, too. Man, those eggs were really cooked well. Uh that, one more thing about the, the miniatures, like the the towns. There were minis for when they were flying the ships in, but the ships themselves were about five feet across. So the buildings that they did the minis in and that that house also See, the minis of the downtown L.A. that they put together were probably six, seven feet tall, depending on the the building and the city hall building that they blew up at the end that they think they said it was like 12 or 13 feet tall. So they really put up, I mean, made up full intersections of downtown L.A. in 1953. Hmm. Yeah. But Anyway. We know Plan nine from outer space. Thank God. That's true. Yep. Oh, so anyway, we are going to take a little break and we come back. We're going to talk about Tom Cruise, 2005's plan nine from World War Outer Space by Spielberg Stevens. Yes. Be back in a bit.
1: I wonder ha- what the difference between this and plan nine was.
3: Could talent, talent, a couple hundred thousand dollars. I don't know. No, uh,
1: could it be talent?
0: Could it be skill?
1: <laughs> Acting ability? They must have wanted it more on this mm. on on this stage.
0: <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Oop, he's getting rough with you.
1: <laughs> I get rough with him.
0: All right, we are back. We are going to talk about 2005's War of the World. An alien invasion threatens the future of humanity. The catastrophic nightmare is depicted through the eyes of one American family family fighting for survival. That was a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Welcome to my world. (laughs) Directed by a one, Steven Spielberg. This is like his first movie, I think, isn't it? As a director? Yeah, we do this joke every time. Yeah. <laughs> Still funny. Is, Is it though? So? <laughs> that was funny. As Russian written. <laughs> it's Russian? It's Russian by, of course, H.G. Wells and then Josh Friedman, who also did Chain Reaction, Terminator Dark Fate, and as a writer on the Snowpiercer TV show. So, like sci-fi. Yeah. Chain Reaction was his first one. He's also done stuff with um, Lock and Key, the Sarah Connor Chronicles uh, Foundation, which is something I've wanted to watch. The other writer on this is David Cope, who was a writer for Jurassic Park, Stir of Echoes. I think it's an underrated Kevin Bacon flick. Agreed. Uh, Mission Impossible 1996 and Ghost Town. Was Ghost Town, the movie? Yeah. Oh, the, the Ricky Gervais one. Yeah. Oh, the series, the TV show?
3: Oh, I thought there was the like movie. a movie in the eighties called Ghost Town. No, that's not it. Oh, oh, I know what you're talking about now.
0: Yeah. I, okay. I had to look it this up. This has Sorry. Tom Cruise as Ray Ferrier. You may know him from Top Gun. Everything else that Tom Cruise has done. Jerry Maguire, Mission Impossible, Last Samurai, Jack Reacher. Uh, risky Business. Risk, yeah, Risky Business. Holy cow. Far and Away. Far and Away. Far Vanilla, what? Let's say Vanilla Sky. Magnolia. Ah, I have one of his no. best roles. We also have Dakota Fanning. In San Diego? <laughs> Dakota Fanning. Dakota Fanning. Screaming um, a lot. Yes. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's her main role in this.
0: From also Secret Life of, Life of Bees, I Am Sam. Most recently, uh, Ripley, the first lady. She played Hillary Clinton in a show called Rodham, but I think that was the one that uh, Hulu was like, no thanks to.
1: And for some it, reason, Miranda Otto.
0: Yeah, that's a weird one, too.
1: Right, and I didn't understand her casting. Like, why did you need her in this role?
0: Yeah, Marina I mean, this Otto. was
2: kind of before she was who she was. Yeah, that's true. Or who
0: she is? Well, she was Eowyn EO in, in two thousand two. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I remember
1: thinking that the first time I saw this, I was like, "Why is she in this?" Yeah,
2: probably to work with Spielberg.
0: Yeah, to get that on your resume. That's I guess that's a good I
1: guess I, yeah. That's a valid reason.
0: That tracks. Yeah. So also we have Justin Chatwin as Robbie, who was known for playing Goku in Dragon Ball Evolution. Oh, he's he's got actually a pretty good career, honestly. But you're gonna pull that one. All right. I'm gonna pull hey, that's the first one listed in his IMDB, known for. Also The Invisible, Nick Powell, and Weeds. He was also in that. Uh Smallville, he played Teen oh, he Jostled by weeds? Whitney. He was Josh Wilson in Weeds. Oh, okay. So uh Tim Robbins playing Tim Robbins. This is actually his whole scene was shot in his actually his apartment. <laughs> so Tim Robbins and he actually had, died in this. Yeah. Like
1: that's like
3: what, he no in real life. Like they actually murdered he actually Tom Cruise actually murdered he,
1: him. They had a CGI Susan Sarandon out of the background. <laughs>
0: You boys with your shovels uh, played Harlan Ogilvy. Rick Gonzalez played Vincent.
3: You're soaking in it.
0: Ew. Uh, he was also in Old School. Joel Vasquez is Julio, who was school, yeah. in Russian Doll, played John Rhys, and was in Severance. Another show that we have talked about doing. Yes, it's on the short list. And then, ready for this, Anne Robinson and Jean Barry from the original War of the Worlds were the grandmother and grandfather standing in the doorway at the end of the movie. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yep. Good uh, stuff. And uh, if you keep a, a hot eye open, there is a young David Harbour working as a dock worker. in the Also, Oh. Yeah.
1: I missed There's that.
0: Good stuff in there. Didn't so did know to look for that. Yeah, I had I had to rewind and find him. You, but once you know it's him, you definitely recognize him. Uh, so trivia: tripod designed for the aliens is based on H.G. Wells' original description from his book, including the heat rays at the ends of the arms, and the red weed is also from the novel. As the as is the alien need for humans. Red weed thing was pretty gross.
1: Pretty creepy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, One scene shows Ray running out of the house to find Robbie while dozens of people are right outside his house photographing the lightning storm to film the scene. Producers hired people on the street to come to the street at the time of the shooting with a camera and film so they could get pictures of Tom Cruise for free.
1: Well, that's clever.
0: (laughs) That is clever, right? And uh, due to Steven Spielberg's last-minute post-production work, he had to drop out of a scheduled appearance with Tom Cruise to promote the film on The Oprah Winfrey Show. He should have been there to wrangle him in. This was during the actually the episode of Tom Cruise's couch-jumping I-love-her-I-love-her-I-love-her scene. So, huh. yeah, would hope Spielberg would have been like, calm it down. Now, on that same note, Steven Spielberg said that after shooting, he would never make a film with Tom Cruise again because of the behavior he had on the set related with his involvement with Scientology. Huh. So, I suppose when Spielberg is like, use Kooky, and I wrote E.T., you know, <laughs> I did E.T.
1: I mean, that's a pretty big mark on your career, <laughs> when Spielberg says, I'm not going to work with you again. You got to be like a Tom Cruise level celebrity to survive that.
0: Right. Seriously. Oh, also, um, the most Jersey guy in the world. What,
1: is, what was his
0: name? Uh, no, no, no. What was his name? The The, the guy who was repairing the cars. Oh, the yeah. Beginning.
2: Fuck, I can't remember the character's name right uh, now. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Yeah, Manny,
0: his name is literally Manny the Mechanic. In this one, it was played by Lenny Venito. So I just, I, just that whole scene. He probably <laughs> wasn't acting. You know, no, he was just a mechanic. You're taking my car. You're killing me here, <laughs> Manny. Get in the car. Quit messing around. Yeah. So first viewing for any of us? Nope. Yep. Nope. Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah,
3: I've seen this several times. I own it, actually.
0: Of course, you do.
1: I, I saw this once before.
0: Oh, oh, yeah, I have not. This is the first time I've ever seen this. So. I'm
3: not kidding, when yeah. I say I like this story. Yo.
2: Well, to kick us off, I want to say that one of the reasons why I had not seen this is because when it comes to uh, disaster movies, there is a unofficial subgenre where you have a leading man usually an A-list or B-list actor uh, who is doing an escort quest in the middle of a disaster with an incredibly annoying group of people, usually his family. And this is one of those movies.
1: Yes. We have World War Z is just like that.
2: World War Z is like that. Uh, San Andreas is like that. 2012 is like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both uh, Volcano and uh, the other one with
0: Pierce Brosnan. Dante's Peak.
2: Peak. Dante's Peak are like that.
0: Poor grandma. Yeah, this, I am not a fan of, I'm a fan of War of the Worlds. I am not a fan of the, I'm not even a fan of escort quests and video games. God, I hate escort quests. But
2: you know, I knew what I was getting into with this and uh, for that subgenre, which is one I don't like, I actually thought this was pretty all right.
3: I mean, I feel like if you've got Steven Spielberg at the helm, and this is kind of, I think, another one of his passion projects, maybe kind of like uh, West Side Story. Um, He he builds attention appropriately, like Ben Jaws. Uh, I mean, there's a couple things here and there that, that are a little off, especially he could have. Speaking of wrangling people, Dakota Fanning could have been wrangled in a lot. Or they could have outlined some sort of character flaw that causes her to be so freaking off the rails.
0: Both uh, kids were awful, but yeah, oh.
3: and the other kid that keeps trying to get away, and I, well, I know I, they established him as a bad
0: dad, but still, they, well, they and they tried really hard at the beginning to make you not
1: like him. I mean, they were they were basically just two MacGuffins instead of characters,
0: mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: and there was not a single likable character uh, in this. No. Uh, I mean, somehow, normally that would sink the movie for me, but like,
1: I was pretty okay with it. I liked the stepfather. I mean, he seemed all right.
3: I liked Amy Ryan, but she was only in it for like a hot minute.
1: The stepfather seemed to have his shit together and he provided for the kids. He seemed okay.
3: Yeah, he was all right. Wait, was Annie Ryan, was that Cheryl? Amy Ryan was his next door neighbor with the little kid. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that
1: was her. Wow.
3: Yeah. She's dressed down massively with the glasses yeah, on. I did, and, I did yeah. not realize that was her. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Uh, I mean, I think I think the thing is that despite the characters, the the special effects are amazing. The the like I said, the, the tension, the the music. Um I think everything else around it is so well done that the characters are almost just like a a plot device to just get you to enjoy what
0: else is going on in the lot in some Correct. respects. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the characters
1: are not the point of this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: it's like it's like you enjoy the soda, you don't appreciate the glass it's in. But <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's the best I can <laughs> well, come up with. That it's like, yeah, it's really good soda. I mean, Tom Cruise is just the the vessel carrying the story.
2: And they really threw down uh, in this on the like the aliens are bad, but the people are almost worse. Oh yeah,
3: and I well, appreciated that. I felt like they handled the the kind of end, of, potential end of the world, uh, post apocalyptic, whatever scenario, pretty well. I mean, it's been done in similar ways in other films, but um, I thought they went pretty realistic with it. And the aliens are legitimately pretty terrifying.
1: Well, the opening gambit when they, they you know just start turning people into ash and their clothes start floating away—that's a really cool effect.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. I think it was like it was the, the beams were so hot it automatically made everybody evaporate. Yeah. I mean, they I show up, all shut the, down all
1: the moisture in your body into steam. Just, oh, that's crazy.
3: I mean, they shut everything down. Like they take away all of your
0: avenues of escape essentially. And they're like, okay, yeah. see you later. So some things I have here. Okay. So for character development, I have written down, everyone is an asshole. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, one question I have is how deep are these things buried? That's wow. and that's that's my thing because I'm like, all right, well, like we well, your digging. standard
1: big city is like a three to five hundred feet, you know, below street level, and there's still you know, you know, uh, I- infrastructure. Right. So I'd say probably a thousand feet.
0: I and my question is like, we how deep can like when they do the the. Uh, Seismographs and they do the, the cert looking underneath the ground with the sound waves and all that. Doesn't over how many years nothing like that ever showed up? So things, things must be pretty friggin' deep.
2: Well, I mean, they were almost certainly dormant and, like you say, pretty deep.
0: Yeah. Um, one thing I got really uh, aggravated about is the lightning strikes in that intersection a dozen times, all in one spot, and the whole damn town comes out to take a look. There's one lady in curlers that I don't. I uh, the behavior of some of the crowds sometimes really confused me because especially in jersey where nobody really gives a damn everybody's gonna come out and look at this one spot in the center of the street the cops are useless and they're not brushing anybody back from this you know what could potentially explode or whatever i there was a lot of behaviors in this that i really did not think jibed like the Yes, the whole scene with, you you guys have a car, we don't, we're going to take the car. Yeah, that was awful and terrible. But there's also moments where, keep moving, keep moving. Oh, wait, you need some expository conversation with me, the soldier that's trying to keep everybody right. moving. Oh, yeah, okay. I did yeah. notice that one, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it You're happens the only person at, I'm
1: going to stop and explain anything to, but everybody else, keep moving.
0: Right, like on their, on when they're going on the way to the ferry, where she, where he meets Cheryl, who we never see again. So I don't know what the whole deal with Cheryl was, why she was even in the movie, but they stop and have this kind of, oh, Cheryl, oh, I have any each- this is Cheryl, Cheryl, this is my daughter, this is, and everybody else is, like, frat- trying to get on, on the, the ferry, and the other side of it is, with the ferry, uh, one thing I found incredibly stupid is, you're all trying to escape a alien invasion, everybody knows this is happening, why would you allow people to get on the ferry with their cars? did you notice that then when the ferry tipped over, there were people in the cars that were on the ferry?
2: Maybe they weren't their cars.
0: They were just know. getting
2: in the cars.
0: Yeah, I don't know. That's Or
2: maybe they were the people that were supposed to move the cars because they did say that they're going to drive the cars off.
0: Maybe. I don't know. There maybe was just maybe
1: some... all the shit hit all the fans. Yeah. <laughs> and how every all single time,
0: every time Tom Cruise needs the... Escape a city or escape an area. There's always a perfect path. No, wow. no cars in his way. Now that was talked about when they were doing the, then um, the in the movie reviews. I remember seeing that. Like well, when it's he always
1: left. helpful when you're trying to escape an apocalypse to have people you know block your extras for you.
0: Right. Um,
3: the you guys kind of touched on it earlier, but uh, when you kind of realize or when you make the realization of what they're actually using the humans for after they've, you know, decimated part of the population uh, and I assume a control move um, that they're basically using us as, as fertilizer. I mean, that smell must be pretty awful after a while. It smells like you lost your car keys, but then uh um just that moment of realization when you walk outside and everything's just covered in blood and there's like, veins everywhere essentially
0: that, that was pretty gross when they're like terraforming the earth yeah. using our blood i do have to say though that the blood harvesting method was completely inefficient
3: yes i thought they were just grinding them up into you know like an, a, a human smoothie and then just spraying it everywhere but right. that whole vacuum thing yeah that didn't make sense to me
0: oh i ran out got to pull one out of the backpack pop it down suck it out play it. you know that that yeah. was
1: got to pre this thing
0: yeah, right, <laughs> I <laughs> it's like, thought the, a- the I mean, anus it
1: would be the equivalent of us like like using a Capri Sun and then just going out in the backyard, just <laughs> spraying the Capri Sun all over the grass. Got wa- to water
3: the garden. Got to get me a Capri Sun. I see. I thought the ship's anus would have been much more efficient. Like it sucks it up, you know, grinds it, and then spits it back out.
1: Right.
0: Right. And well, I'm, my question is, if they're going to terraform the whole Earth, why do they have anybody alive in these baskets anyway? Why aren't they just going you into should the just big be going hopper? Straight into the blender. Yeah. Right. Yeah,
1: throw them right into the wood chipper.
0: See,
3: but it still, help. regardless, was still pretty. See,
1: and we, we 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 could be great bureaucrats for these aliens. Like, let's <laughs> get your efficiency numbers up. Come on. Yeah, let's. You let's could be this killing us out. at a much greater rate. <laughs>
3: uh, no, okay. whole... Oh, oh go sorry. Ahead. I was going to say the whole scene in the basement. He does such a good job of building tension, yeah. and then kind of releasing that pressure a little bit, and then putting it back on again. Um, mm-hmm. and then the whole sequence when it, where it leads up to what happens between him and, and Tim Robbins, you don't see anything, but it has just as much impact knowing what he had to do to save his,
0: you know, save his kid.
1: Yeah. But yeah. way to ruin the little girl's favorite song for her. Now she's never right. going to be able to sing it again.
0: Hey, eh. speaking of the kids. Okay. So Robbie's an idiot all the tanks, all the Humvees are driving up to the top of the hill where obviously on the other side, a massive firefight is going on. Robbie's like, I need to see this! And he runs up the hill. My question is, why the hell was everybody else running up the hill towards the fighting and not running away?
1: Because people are stupid?
0: Well, I think the
3: assumption was was that they wanted to help in the fight, but I don't know why they kept having him say, I need to see this. Why? Cause it seemed more like he wanted to join and he wanted to fight.
0: Right. And so, for him yeah. to show up at the house at the end of the movie is the most incredible pile of bullshit that this Patrick? movie has to offer.
1: Yeah. I fu- I, that, that's my least favorite part of the entire movie. I fucking hated that when I first saw this movie. It yeah, just, Patrick- there's, no, there's no way that that kid should have, could have, should have survived. Right. When
3: we decided to do this show, Patrick side-messaged me that same night, and he's like, <laughs> he said that exact thing that uh, that he hates that
0: part.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, just, and I remember like being enraged when I saw this movie the first time. I'm like, what the fuck? Like,
0: I mean, that exp- if they had any sort of explosion that may have had some other... I mean, that was like a life-ending explosion on the other side of that hill.
1: Exactly. Everybody no- died. Nobody survived that.
0: No, Robbie didn't tuck and roll and get out and of the it, way.
1: And it actually, it made such, it was such a good narrative scene for the drama for everything to like make him decide like which child am I going to save right now? And he had his own little alien,
0: another. Sophie's choice.
1: Yeah, and it was so good and it's so well done. And you just basically just stabbed that whole scene in the back by being, oh, it doesn't matter. The other kid survived anyway.
0: And Crouch Boston was choice. in really, yeah. Boston was in really good shape. I'm gonna say, but then again, who the hell wants Boston? Even the aliens were like,
1: "Yeah, like it's too confusing. The streets go everywhere."
0: What? Frank? Where are you? I don't know, man. There's, there's. I think I'm in a cul-de-sac.
1: <laughs> we're gonna go over here and attack this grid city. It's much easier to get around.
0: Fastin' <laughs> Anyway, it, though, after they did put the uh, the red vines everywhere, it did look like a Tim Burton movie. <laughs> but no, I. Uh, I, I, Joel, I think you liked it. I loved it. I liked movie. it too. Yeah.
1: Ugh. And I, I mean, you know, spoiler alerts for the end, but I'm I pretty much a thumbs up. The main thing that I hated about it was that, that Robbie just shows up at the end. It's like, that's so stupid. I mean, can, crappy Hollywood, you know, let's write this ending so people aren't sad.
3: Considering some of the other sci fi movies that came out at this time. And even before or after it's, it's one of the better ones. I'm not going to say it's perfect by any stretch and I'm not going to say, you know, it's they set the bar so high that it's going to be hard to match it. But I feel like it was one of the better ones
0: that had come out in in that like 10 year period for the season. For sure. I
1: mean, it's not horrible by any stretch.
0: No, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't bad. I mean, I, I just think that there were some weird holes that I, I had issues with like, okay, okay. The birds are landing on the tripods now. Why did the tripods drop the shields if the aliens were getting sick? I don't open all the doors and windows in my house if I have a cold.
1: But maybe the the shields were biological and not mechanical.
0: But then you got to drop a hint of that somehow.
1: Right. Yeah, for sure.
3: Well, they said that they had been walking around in circles and they seemed confused and things. So I think that they were just too sick to maneuver them. And they were trying to keep moving forward and do the carry out the plot, the master plan. But because they were so ill, they just you know when you get sick, it's hard to 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 do things. It's hard things. to remember
0: to turn your turn your shields, shields on. on.
3: Yeah, <laughs> your your shields in there are You know, you're just not,
0: not doing it.
1: Yeah, I have what a head cold guys- right now, and my shields are totally down.
3: I know. So <laughs> what I'm do you about think about the tra- rocket launcher? What
0: the the train scene?
3: That was cool. That was effective. I've seen uh, they use that again in another. I think uh, train to Busan. There might have been a a shot like that. The train on
0: fire. I think there was. Yeah. Yeah.
3: It's super effective because, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, oh, there's a train coming and you see it go by and you're like, holy shit, this world really is fucked. You know? Yeah. It's kind of terrifying. Fast moving megaton thing just on fire full of people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh what was it? I had
3: a point. I forgot it was.
0: The aliens did look like they were the second cousins to Independence Day aliens. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, they they did look like the smaller versions.
0: It's like it's like the the Independence Day. Frank, no, don't go out there, man. There's always something with that planet. We tried it a few years ago. It didn't work (laughs) out for us. It's not gonna come, you know, it's not gonna work out well for you guys. Well,
3: Let's say, um, let's switch this around again. So let's say you had a different actor in the lead, like, um, I'm trying to think who would have been popular in 2005. Um, let's, say, let's say Brad, like, McConaughey yeah. or Brad Pitt as a lead. Uh, you had a different kids that were not annoying, that were more endearing and more like kind of have an arc where they go. F- earlier from, you know, hating their dad to kind of trusting him at least to loving him maybe a little bit more
0: later, would it have improved it
3: for you? I
0: a little bit, yeah, because I think, first off, I don't think Tom Cruise does blue collar real well. That's fair. Oh, you know who would have been good? Christian Bale. Christian Bale. Clive Owen. Owen. I could say Clive
3: Owen, too. And I was thinking... Well, uh, nowadays, if they did it again with the same story, like you know, Chris Pratt or somebody like that, uh, they'd probably use The Rock and they'd have it directed by Roland Emmerich and it would bomb. But,
2: <laughs> well, I mean, The yeah. Rock did this sort of movie. It was called San Andreas.
3: Yep. Are there aliens yeah. in
2: that, though? I haven't seen No, it.
1: but it's a no. War, war of the Worlds with a Z.
0: I don't no, why. But it's what?
2: This is almost more uh, disaster movie than sci-fi. It's a disaster film w- with sci-fi elements.
3: Uh, yeah, I'll buy it. Or instead of Mother Nature, it's Mother Kragnar.
2: Well, I mean, if you look at zombie films, zombie films are essentially disaster films. This is similar to one of, th- more similar to one of those. I would say.
3: I I, I would agree with that, and I I like. Uh, These types of movies, any any sort of kind of end of the world scenario, whether it's, you know, horror based or sci fi based or even even sometimes the the natural disaster ones, because it feels like it's something that could maybe happen. Uh,
0: So it's kind of scary still. Nice. Well, what do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down? Yeah. Cool.
2: Cool. I mean, I, I can't think if there was anything else we, we talked about. I, I think all the major stuff.
0: I mean, the, I will say the opening scene, pretty on the nose there, Steve. Start with looking at, you know, going to open the movie with, um, uh, what's his face? Morgan Freeman and pictures of paramecium. <laughs> little yeah. Germs and shit, you know.
2: There You're was uh, the nice homage to the uh, chopping off. Uh, the snake with the axe. Yeah, like they they foreshadow it with like, okay, this is a bad idea. If you start doing this, they'll know where we are, and then he kind of has to. Very mm-hmm. similar
0: situation. So, Patrick, thumbs up, thumbs down.
1: Uh, I would say thumbs up for both. Good. Yeah, not like a, you know, crazy enthusiastic for either one, but yeah, thumbs up for both.
0: Nice.
2: I'm exactly there. I was like really not looking forward to doing this topic this week, and uh, I enjoyed myself a lot more than I thought I would.
3: Yay,
0: Joel. What about you, man?
3: Uh, well, you and I are in the same boat. I love uh old school sci fi, and I uh, obviously love the new one, so I'm thumbs up on both. That's a great story.
0: Yeah, I'm thumbs up on both also, obviously. So uh huh. I wondered there if you would go. thumbs
2: down the new one.
0: No, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, there were some plot holes, but every movie has some sort of plot holes. No, not every plot's going to be super sealed up. I did have a couple, you know, like I I do want to know uh what the hell happened with Cheryl. You know, like the whole I think the whole Cheryl scene because it never went anywhere. It was why do we have that?
1: I think ha- It's a little more like just of of like, you know, slice of life realism you know hey maybe he is going to run into somebody at some point that he just knows from work or from whatever but it doesn't really matter you don't need an explanation for her i don't know maybe i I mean i don't necessarily think it needs to be in the movie but i don't necessarily think it takes away either
2: well i mean he otherwise has no sort of personal tragedy there's no face on the tragedy because all of his kids live and his ex-wife doesn't die nobody he cares about except Cheryl actually dies in this so i think that's probably where they were going with it
0: you know i wonder if that was like Cheryl was inserted after they te- maybe tested it out and didn't have the son live
1: or it could be the other thing oh you know yeah that they, they could have just substituted her for the whatever you know but yeah like or that it could maybe be something sure. like there was a scene that explained who she was that was deleted right it could you know, have been like a scene where he's listening to his answering machine and it's like, hey, this is Cheryl. You know, I can't make our date tonight or something.
3: Yeah, maybe. And how did Robbie survive? Could we have gotten that scene? <sighs> you know well, what? Spielberg, that, he just
1: survive. didn't run away like an idiot. How about that scene? You stay and you help You know, protect your little sister. How about let's have that scene? I want to yeah. see.
0: I wanted to slap the shit out of both those kids at various points in this movie.
1: Yeah. Robbie was a shithead. <laughs> and I was kind of glad song. he was gone. And then he came back, and, and I was. Oh, you've set. been
0: running around, man! i you were in the basement with that creepy dude, man! I, I, I survived that explosion and found mom right away. Yeah, you should have come with me.
1: I left you guys to fend for yourselves because I'm a shithead.
2: All right. Well, if you have your thoughts <laughs> about uh, classic sci-fi or in general or a way, uh, way of the world, War of the Worlds in particular, uh, let us know. Give us a call at 708 now wrap That's 708-669-9727. Yep.
0: And you can find our older shows on uh, your favorite podcast apps, such as Podbean or Pandora. We're also on Apple, Google, and Amazon. And uh, do us a favor. If you have a show that you like, share it with somebody. Throw it on social media. Let somebody else see it. Let's spread the love. Like lukewarm mayonnaise.
1: Ew. Cherish the love
0: we have. Ooh. Sing us no. out, Joel. <laughs> what? Sing no. us out, Joel. No, So you've
3: been coming up <laughs> soon.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> we're gonna be talking about the Manchurian candidates, Father of the Bride, house party, pajama jammy jam. And uh, maybe yeah. a little Day the Should Stoke sometime in the near future. I want you to sing a song. You tone, you know, Jerk. Cherish the... <laughs> that's <laughs> what I need. Yeah,
0: that's
2: what I was looking for.
0: That's <laughs> what I
2: need.
3: <laughs> All right,
0: everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will be back next week. Messina and Oats. live
3: on <laughs> whoa.